Well, welcome, Kate. Thank you for being with us on Hemp Barons today. Thank you so much for having me. You are taking the hemp world by storm. We get to see you everywhere. Your passion for this plant is so contagious and so inspiring. Um, You're a true kindred spirit and a soul sister of mine. We get to see you on all sorts of social media, at events, educating, educating, sharing the good news and the good word about delivering on the promise of hemp and inspiring us in other ways too, uh, whether it's uh, life coaching or spiritual guidance or just helping us to remember what's important in life. You're really becoming quite a uh, influence on the hemp industries and, and in the entire scene. So tell us a little bit about what brought you to hemp. What made you interested in this versatile, valuable plant that is reemerging here in North America and throughout the planet? Well, sure. And thank you so much for having me on in those kind words. I can definitely say that you are a true inspiration and mentor to me. You've taught me so much and I love just watching you and learning from you. And you're definitely a, a big piece of my reason for continuing to go on with high hopes and positivity. So my interest in hemp really stemmed from my overall interest in the cannabis plant. Uh, When I lived in New York, which was about five years ago, I was in the healthcare industry. I was a hearing specialist, so I would um, diagnose and, and treat hearing loss. And through that, I really started to um, gain a passion for healing um, and in seeing what healing does to individuals, which, you know, in my eyes was really saving their lives. And I loved doing that, but I did feel that inside of me, there was a, a bigger calling and it's a simple story of just really leaving my job and moving out to Colorado and jumping into cannabis immediately. And immediately I did see how this plant was changing lives. And with the work of advocates and activists, um, you know, the the healing was definitely happening. And I was extremely touched. And so I did move out to Colorado to jump into the cannabis industry, but I didn't realize what a turn my view and connection to the plant would take. I did think I was going to get there and, you know, I was passionate about the plant, but I definitely had money signs in my eyes. And that turned almost immediately of me getting into Colorado. I really saw what it meant to be part of a community. I saw that the community needed, you know, me along with many others to really just step up and speak truth. And within, I would say, probably a month or two of me moving out to Colorado and getting into the industry, I uh, fell upon a hemp meetup and there were a bunch of hempsters within the building. It was definitely a different crowd from your um, marijuana and cannabis industry crowd. And I was connecting and resonating with them in a different way. I remember someone came up to me with a hemp business card and I was pretty much mind blown. I was like, wow, you can make hemp can make a business card. I was, I was really like wowed by that. And there were other objects that were handed to me within that meetup that were other wow, um, taken back moments. 
And I really started learning more about the plant on an industrial side. Prior to that, my thoughts about hemp were kind of the um, stereotypical stigmatized views where it's just like rope or baggy clothing that isn't attractive and looks like a potato sack. I knew it came from cannabis, but I didn't realize the full potential of hemp. And so, yeah, that's that's really kind of where it started. And it just absolutely took off from there. I feel like the plant kind of took over and is using me as a vessel on this planet. And I just continue to learn every day and fell absolutely in love with the movement and the plant and the people around it. You know, it's amazing. Once, once it hits you, the knowledge hits you, it's almost like these light encoded filaments connecting and turning on in your brain throughout your body. And it's, it's just an amazing explosion of awareness and, and inspiration because as I often say on the show, the U.S. government, who really was the, the bully throughout the rest of the planet, along with other governments, didn't want to just take the plant away from our consciousness. It, it sought to, and for many decades, effectively removed all knowledge of the plant from our consciousness. And so when that happens to us, and it's something that we, and humanity clearly has a very special relationship with the cannabis plant, the endocannabinoid system, of course, being proof positive of that. We have this system in our bodies, these cannabinoid receptors of this ECS or endocannabinoid system that's responsible for regulating homeostasis, for goodness sake. And homeostasis is what regulates all of the systems of our body. So we have this tremendous ethnobotanical relationship with this plant. And when we have no awareness as full-grown adults, educated at different levels, some highly, highly educated, and all of a sudden this information comes to you that you've been literally deprived of, um, it's, just, it's just an amazing experience. And it doesn't surprise me a bit that you remember that day um, very, very well in the same way that I remember the day that I received a flyer at a Grateful Dead show in Foxborough, Massachusetts in the spring of 1990 with excerpts from The Emperor Wears No Clothes. Um, just one page, a one-page flyer that taught about hemp, the environmental benefits of it, brief U.S. history and world history of it, all of the things that you can do with it. Oh, and P.S., it's against a lot of plant to seed or even to own a viable seed. And I remember how I felt that day. And even reciting the story now, um, I still get chills and get goosebumps because I just remember the effect that that had on me and that it really changed the trajectory of my life. Once it gets up in you, it gets up in you. And boy, Miss Kate, we are so lucky uh, that cannabis in all of its forms, especially hemp, has come to you. You know, and I think for folks who don't know who you are, listeners who don't know who you are, and I hope they will immediately go to katecurley.com and figure it out, C-A-I-T, Curly, C-U-R-L-E-Y, because you are unusually and extraordinarily beautiful. Now, what most folks who don't know you, they have to learn to know you or admire you from your incredible, gracious, and inspiring and educational posts throughout various social media platforms. But you're beautiful from the inside out. You're an incredibly special human being. And 
Well, what I love is that folks who are attracted to beauty, just straight up, they don't have the benefit of knowing you or understanding you or feeling your vibrations, um, but they see you and you're giving them information, vetted, scientific. And this is what I appreciate about you so much, uh, Kate, is that you, you check your work. You do not extol virtues or facts that you have not confirmed or vetted. And it's so important. It's absolutely key. There is more misinformation about hemp and all forms of cannabis out there than darn near anything else other than potentially coronavirus at this point. Um, so, so to be able to attract folks' eyes, you are so pleasing to the eye in your gorgeous photographs. Um, it's such a tremendous boon for hemp. And in fact, you have Kate Curley Media, where you do your advocacy and educational in efforts and endeavors, as well as brand collaborations. Brands want to be a part of Kate Curley. Can you tell us a little bit about how that started and, and what you do and how brands um, can get connected with you? And, uh, and before everyone gets too excited, it's not automatic. Kate doesn't live for the mighty dollar. She lives for integrity. Uh, so, so not every brand gets to be with the Kate Curly Media, um, but tell us a little bit about it and what brands can do to be connected with you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for all of these kind words. I really appreciate it. And it means so much coming from you to to hear this because, again, you definitely are a huge mentor, hero, and sister to me. So I really appreciate you saying all those sweet things. Um, and so, as I had said before, I was in the healthcare industry about five years ago, and I was extremely private. Um, as it was asked upon my employer to be so. And also, I really didn't want my patients finding any information about me um, anyways, as it was a really professional setting. Um, so any form of social media, if you tried to find me, if you really tried hard to find me on social media five years ago, you still wouldn't be able to find anything about me. Um, so when I moved to Colorado and I saw the industry and its strengths and weaknesses and and the holes that kind of needed to be filled i i saw that a strength that was you know working for the industry was social media it has been such an incredible platform to connect and educate the masses although most social media platforms are still pretty harsh on the cannabis and hemp industry in a sense, you know, blocking them out and suppressing them. Um, it, it's still such a powerful tool for the community to connect. So I really began my involvement with social media slowly but surely, um, kind of coming out of the closet. There were a good amount of people that knew I was a consumer, but then there also was a lot of people that didn't know I was a consumer. Um, and weren't really happy with my approach, um, with being honest and open about consuming. Um, so that, that started a change in my life as well, where people were actively, um, pushing against my, um, advocacy for the plant. And I didn't really care. And I continued on with strengthening the message and, um, becoming more and more involved with social media. And I did find a kind of a link between advocacy, education, and fashion and beauty. 
Um, I had a lot of fun modeling while I was out here in Colorado. I kind of did a, a change of scenery, a change of life. Um, back before I went to school and became a hearing specialist, I was, um, you know, I did some modeling and I was a dancer for a huge portion of my life too. So in a sense, I was reopening this door that I had shut and um, the creative artistic side of, of me. And I found that through modeling, um, I was creating art. I was creating a story behind what I had to say. And yeah, the for whatever it was within the picture, um, whatever, you know, um, captured someone's eye, it, it did kind of force them to read deeper into the picture and therefore the caption, which did and does have some meaningful content. So I saw that it was working. Um, some of my videos and photos were starting to go viral. And I just was like, okay, I think I'm starting to find a place that I'm really um, assisting the community, assisting education and advocacy. And I'm loving what I'm doing, creating this piece of art, putting it out there, getting a reaction. If it's happy, if it's sad, if it's, you know, knowledge, um, you know, I'm changing perceptions and uh, mindsets and lives in that sense. So that's, that's, you know, really how the, the media side of the brand started. Um, my social media platforms did become more popular as these photos and videos were uh, going viral. And I, I began to gain a uh, fan base audience and that just continued to grow. And then I decided to become more official with this media brand and I created um, Kate Curley Media where it was a place for brands to come to me officially and say, hey, um, I really like your message. I think we resonate. Would you be interested in doing some promotion for me or my brands? And uh, there is a vetting process. And then based on the results of that vetting process, it's a yes or no. Um, so this technically in the marketing world is called influencer marketing. Um, and then I, you know, did, I don't call myself an expert, but I definitely did, did learn the ins, ins and outs of social media, especially within the hemp and cannabis industry, how that works, what is allowed, what isn't allowed. Um, and I started managing other social media brands, or I should say hemp and cannabis brands, I was managing their social media as a side hustle. Um, and I still do that to this day. There's about eight brands that I manage social media for. Well, you're certainly doing a lot of things right, Miss Kate, because we were together at the World Ag Expo in Tulare, California in mid-February. That's the world's largest agricultural trade show. Over 115,000 people uh, walked those many, many acres of billions of dollars worth of farm equipment uh, and other materials. And this was the first year that World Ag Expo really embraced hemp. There was the hemp pavilion, the hemp village. I was so honored to be able to emcee the world's first international hemp innovation challenge. It was a really big deal. And then for media, which is a cutting edge intelligence and digital media company and research company, 
uh, named you as the number one influencer for John Deere in the month of March. So boy, are you doing something right and influencing folks to right on the heels of your incredible presence and participation at World Ag Expo. Boom, we've got John Deere uh, the next month where <laughs> you're the number one influencer online. Just so amazing. Now, I also know that Kate Curley's shop is on its way, something that you're uh, developing and working on where you'll be able to and will be able to buy uh, the products of those vetted brands, the products you love so much that have made it through your muster and that you want to share with other people. So we're definitely going to be looking out for that. Now, you travel extensively. You live a charmed life, Miss Kate. Uh, you get to see all kinds of hemp farms across the United States, lots of tours for facilities and infrastructure. Obviously, you live in the heart um, of hemp country in northern Colorado, but you're also from Binghamton, New York, uh, which is in itself uh, the sort of center for hemp in the Northeast and for the great empire state, uh, state of New York. And of course, you also travel internationally. You've been to the Caribbean, Mexico, and other places. Tell us a little bit about um, your trip to Tulum, what you saw in Tulum, Mexico, and also to the uh, Virgin Islands, the British Virgin Islands. And then let's get to some things that are exciting here in the United States. Yeah. Oh, yes, I definitely have, you know, I've placed myself in the heart of the hemp industry. I'm so lucky to have the friends and, you know, peers that I do. I usually say that I know a little about a lot of things in cannabis and hemp. And if I don't know the answer, I have a friend that absolutely does. Um, and so I have been doing some traveling. I had a pretty full schedule this year until the coronavirus hit. But luckily before that, in January and February and a little bit of March, I did quite a bit of traveling. One of those locations was the British Virgin Islands. And so my friends and I had a, a bit of a unfortunate situation, but it turned out to be a blessed situation where we missed the ferry uh, from one island to the other where we are staying. And it forced us to stay with a gentleman that was a friend of a friend. And he picked us up and said, well, ladies, I know that you're in the cannabis and hemp space. I happen to know the individuals that just created and uh, launched the first CBD and hemp store in the islands. Would you like to go see this? And we said, of course. So it was a random yet historic moment for me to be able to walk into this shop, uh, the first hemp and CBD uh, shop on St. Thomas. And I think it really was considered the first within the islands down there as well. Um, and to be able to just be face-to-face -face with the owners and have conversation with them, of course, they've had so many uh, challenges, but it was really beautiful to see their smiles and their hope and positivity for all that the store can bring, not only to, you know, the, the humans walking in and out, but the islands themselves. Um, that was really amazing. And then Tulum, Tulum was a magical place of its own. There was, there's so much to, to that trip and, and the stories. But one of the most amazing things there was being able to visit the tallest all-natural building on the continent. And this building was made of cocoa crete, bamboo, and hempcrete. 
It is literally, it probably is the most beautiful building I've ever laid my eyes on. And not because it was filled with fancy matter and gold, because it was not, but because it was literally materials taken from the earth and just built up all the way up to be the tallest building on the continent. And it was overlooking the beautiful jungle. Um, it was, it's just incredible to be sitting within a home of all those beautiful natural properties for the people living within it. And then, you know, the grand, the ground that it was standing on, I was able to, um, connect with the cannabis community down there, a small portion, but for those that I did connect with, you know, it's a, it's a different country and a, a different vibe and there's different legality around the plant. Um, but it's just always so amazing to, to see these people and, you know, connect under the same thoughts and beliefs that it should be a free plant and that, you know, it is the tree of life. Amazing experience to be able to see that building. That's, you know, hempcrete and natural building and hemp building materials are one of the many things that you and I have in common. I think we both love them so much and, and share that with other sort of hempcrete lovers because we understand the environmental impact uh, that it will make being able to switch to hemp building materials along with the, the performance and the durability and longevity of the structure itself. So it's just such a win-win-win. Uh, and when you said Cococrete, uh, because folks are just learning, of course, about hempcrete. And if we could go back and rename hempcrete, we call it hemp fill or hemp filation or something like that. Because, of course, that crete sort of gives folks the misimpression that hempcrete is somehow a substitute for concrete. When really it's an above ground daylight uh, wall construction infill that really has to breathe. And what we love about using what's local, what's near you, uh, and we don't want to have to have a huge carbon footprint in terms of importing materials. So what is there in the Caribbean? What is there in South America? There's a whole lot of coconut. And so if we're talking about using a cellulose to mix with lime, because hempcrete is hemp herd, the inner woody core of the plant, and then a very special kind of lime. It's not your basic agricultural lime. It's a type N hydrated, high calcium dolmetic lime and water. But you can make these construction infills. It doesn't have to be with hemp. Hemp is simply the superior cellulose in which to use because of its cellulosic makeup, its high silica content, all of those things. Um, but you can also use coconut shreds. Uh, and so that's what, when you said cococrete, um, so we're talking about hemp mixed with lime and water, the hemp herds, as well as coconut, uh, the outer coconut cellulose mixed with uh, lime and, and water. Just so incredible. Can you tell us anything else about that building that struck you? Um, any of the other sort of environmental uh, amenities or, or methodologies that it used in its construction or even the kind of textiles that you saw? Yeah, I so I was super intrigued with cocoa Cree as we were you know you were just discussing um and in all that coconut is able to do i was unaware of the strength of the coconut fiber until i went through this visit and was you know educated on its strength and all of its abilities for industrial uses like clothing and um you know things of that manner things that we use hemp for and so another object that I saw there that I was super taken back by was a cocoa crete wall. 
Um, and so this was used, as you just described, how to make hempcrete was actually used in the same way. Um, and there was this ginormous wall that was made um, to block out, you know, the the neighbors, I guess you could say, uh, from seeing in on in the back backyard. I think that my biggest takeaway and um, kind of gemmed prize in my eyes when I was looking at this structure was the gentleman that built it. Um, I want to say based on him standing next to me that he was probably shorter than five foot and, you know, with his two bare hands built this amazing building. Well, it's amazing what people can do when they put their mind to something and when they're given the resources to do it. And when we are really imaginative, we really start to see all the resources that are around us. Uh, and so I think these more developing countries, we have so many lessons to learn from that. Now, in terms of the United States, you sure do get to do a lot of traveling. You participate in conferences uh, and, and visit conferences, lots of advocacy and activism. I see you everywhere. Um, and, and that's literally coast to coast. And of course, you participate in the Hawaii Hemp Expo, the Southern Hemp Expo, and of course, NOCO Hemp Expo, our favorite trade show in North America and beyond. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing that's exciting in the United States, moving outside of hemp extracts and cannabidiol or CBD, more in those fiber and oil seed uses, grain and fiber, as we build the infrastructure here in the United States to, to begin to process the plant for its many, many industries, human and animal nutrition, body care, nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals, of course, paper and textiles, biocomposites and plastics, building materials, uh, nanotechnology, air and space, uh, energy and fuel, sealants and coatings. I could go on and on. What are you seeing developing here in the United States that piques your interest the most? So as you have just named all these amazing byproducts of the plant, I definitely thought even three years ago that this movement would be so much stronger today than it is. Um, I can say that I was naive even just three years ago with all this knowledge and understanding of what the plant can do. I, I thought that there's no way that this won't take off within the next week or month. And what have we been holding out for? Now more and more people are finding out and we, you know, this plant is going to take over. The community is going to take over and the plant is going to be healed with hemp. And that has not gone as strong and forcefully as I thought it would. Once I started communicating with more leaders within the hemp space that really knew what they were talking about and had been in the space for a good amount of time, I started to understand the uh, time that it takes for, you know, even just one innovation to take off. It could be incredible. It could be planet saving. It could be life saving, but it still takes time. It takes um, investment. It takes, you know, the education to others to take this and implement it into the world. Um, it, it Time is definitely, you know, a factor within this movement where I just, again, assume that because everything that this plant can do is so amazing, it would be moving much faster. So I'm starting to really understand through the travels and through the discussions 
um, what it takes to build an infrastructure and build a hemp economy within the United States. And as it is slow but surely, I am seeing um, quite a few amazing things happen and, and take place. And I'll just talk about current things, um, as there are so many. I'm seeing uh, clothing and fabrics, textiles, beginning to be created within the United States. This is small scale, but it is happening. There are a lot of um, hemp experts out there that are trying um, different ways to play with the hemp fiber in regards to the clothing. Um, you know, there's so many different byproducts of just textiles through hemp that can be done. So one example is um, the cottonized fiber creating tampons out of that. Um, there's also another completely different byproduct is hemp plastic. I'm seeing the whole industry of the harvesting equipment evolve, where there are players that have already been in the ag business that are um, evolving their equipment to fit the hemp industry, or um, also taking uh, old equipment like tobacco harvesting equipment and adjusting that to work with hemp in the hemp industry. Um, I'm also seeing paper starting to evolve within the United States. And from, from my travels and connections within the industry, I think that that's probably the one industrial byproduct that is ahead of the others and will be taking off um, sooner than later. There are uh, two people specifically that come to mind that have um, hemp paper companies, and they've been working on this side of the plant and hemp paper for a really long time, and they're just starting to hit the ice. But there is this really big interest right now in hemp paper. Um, and so I think that out of everything I'm seeing, that's probably the top player that will move forward before other um, byproducts like the textiles. Ah, interesting. And, and of course, we always say co-products because hemp, hemp is just, we can use that whole plant for all of the many <laughs> things. And, uh, and I think, you know, paper's a huge demand, obviously. And as we talk about at the show when the opportunity presents, it, um, presents itself, you know, paper made from wood, what a ridiculous invention is that based on a patent. And I mean, when you punch a tree, you really hurt your hand because there's a lot of linen in that tree. Linen is what gives plants its rigidity and its protection. And it's a thick, gooey, dark, glue-like substance, takes a lot of chemicals to break it down. And then you're left with this dark brown pulp that then you have to use bleach and dioxins, which further poison the water table so that we get a paper that we can write on, all in the name of, of wood cellulose um, because somebody wanted to make money on it. When, of course, hemp was what most of the paper supply was made of from, of course, for thousands of years. Um, papyrus, hemp, 
the Declaration of Independence, the very first uh, draft of it. Of course, like most important documents, the final draft was on skin so that it could last longer, but that very first draft was on hemp paper. You punch a hemp plant, you're not going to hurt your hand. There's far less meaning in a hemp plant than there is in a tree. So we don't need all of those chemicals to break it down. We do not need to use bleach to make it so that we can see what we're writing on. We all just need to get used to nice cream colored paper. And when manufactured responsibly, it's an acid-free paper that can be recycled a hundred more times than wood paper. And as we know from our own USDA's research in 1916, uh, Leicester Dewey's and, and the USDA bulletin number 404, we can get four times more paper from an acre of hemp than we can an acre of trees over a 20-year period. So much exciting stuff that's happening in the United States and oh, does my heart go out, sister? So, And as you've come to learn, so many people have lost their fortunes being dedicated to this plant and their innovations and their inventions, uh, their homes, their equity, their retirement funds, every penny that they've worked on. But when the plant, uh, when you're inspired by it, you just keep working. And yes, it's amazing. Things can can be invented that will save the entire world, that are efficient, that are economical, that are superior, but without all of the stars aligning and the funding in place and the correct representation, it doesn't develop or go any further than that. And, and hemp is seems to collect uh, some of the most dedicated, brilliant, inspired planetary healers. And it's just so wonderful to watch all of this unfold now that hemp has reclaimed its place in the broad light of day with all of America's other agricultural commodities as a result of the 2018 Farm Bill. We are just so lucky to have you working for this plant, working for cannabis in all of its forms. We're just so grateful for everything that you do for hemp. Wishing you every wonderful thing as you launch Kate Curley Shop and all good things for Kate Curley Media. Please, folks, go to our website so you can find out how to get in touch with Kate. And if you'd like to do some brand collaboration with Kate or take advantage of her advocacy or educational services. Miss Kate, I cannot wait till our events start up again so I get to spend time with you in person. I haven't seen you for, I think, three whole weeks now, and that's a long time for us, gal. <laughs> I miss and, and, you. And I miss you back. So we're just wishing you everything good, and I also can't wait to see how your Kate Curly world unfolds and the many, many impressions that you're going to continue to make as you spread the good word of hemp in the beautiful, integral way that you do. Thank you for everything you do, Kate. Thank you so much. Thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for having me on. And I'm definitely excited to continue on and honor the plant and do what I can. Thank you back. So lucky to have you. Bye-bye, Kate. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why is an endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.